0: The topic today is incomparable. Would you say it? (laughs) When I was a young preacher, I used to say (laughs) incomparable. That's fine because it means quite simply that nothing can be compared. Incomparable. Nothing can be compared. Because the word means beyond compare. You can't compare anyone or anything to that which you're speaking of. Beyond compare. Matchless. This is a good one. Second to none. Today we're going to talk about somebody who is second to none. Surpassing over and beyond, surpassing, transcendent, beyond anything that you and I can comprehend or understand, unequaled, without peer. So I've called the talk today by this word, incomparable. And the theme text is found here in John chapter 8. And verse 12, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the gospel according to John chapter 8 and verse 12. I want you to think of these extraordinary statements. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is the light of the world physically? It's the sun. Jesus was saying, I am the sun. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. Either Jesus, therefore, was everything he said he was, everything he claimed to be, or else, He was a raving lunatic. Some people say he was a good man and we will admit that. My friend, do not dare patronise him. He is either what he claimed to be, the light of the world, or else he was a stark, raving lunatic, a madman. Imagine if any preacher were to come here today, imagine... If I were to say to you, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. You would say, he is absolutely bonkers. He's crazy. Nothing compares on our planet to the sun. Jesus is incomparable. Nothing can compare to him. I want you to come over now to John 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14 and uh, verse 6, please. And uh, I want you to please turn to the text. And those of you watching at home, maybe go get a Bible and turn to the text. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I would suggest to you today that the vast majority of people who profess to be Christians haven't got a clue what that text is saying. What about you? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you can't be saved in any other way through a personal experience with Christ. He is matchless. He is unequaled. He is second to none. He is not in the same category as any other person. He is surpassing, transcendent, without peer. He is unequaled. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I've had the privilege to study the lives and deeds of great men of history who helped to make this world a better and a safer place. Men like Abraham Lincoln, the great liberator. This man who trusted in God was the man who broke the chains on the slaves here in the United States of America. And then Winston Churchill I've read about Churchill for years. My admiration grows as time goes by. He was the man who said, never, never, never give up. And when England was facing the hordes of the Nazis and when London was burning at night and when Hitler was gloating over the demise of Great Britain, He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, sweat, and tears. We will go on. What is our aim? Victory. Total victory at any cost. A great man. And then, of course, there was the man who gave us liberty. Gave the Jewish people, Israel, liberty, Moses. And then there was Gandhi, the man who, through not fighting but through peaceful means, liberated the nation of India, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer who said, as he stood before the great of the earth, I will not recant, here I stand Great man. Another man, an American, almost took his name Martin Luther King. You remember, he was the great civil rights activist here in the United States of America who fought against the terrible racism that had plagued this country for hundreds of years. And we remember his speech I have a dream. I've climbed the mountain. And I have seen uh, the Promised Land. And then, if you go back many years to the days of the Spanish Armada, when the Church of Rome said, We are going to crush this power, there was Queen Elizabeth. And then, later still, there was the man who saved Britain from uh, a bloody French Revolution, my hero. John Wesley, and within our lifetime, a Russian, Mikhail Gorbachev, who allowed the masses to go free from the slavery of communism. Almost all of these men look to Christ for inspiration. But the more you study, besides their great deeds, are many glaring imperfections but the more you study the life of Christ I say to the skeptic and the critic be honest the better he gets like a rare jewel of exquisite worth and unblemished and dazzling splendor is Christ he is incomparable in spite of his followers and detractors he has done more good than the rest of humanity combined. And today, I want you to notice with me here in this beautiful church, I want you to notice six stories from the life of Jesus. The first story is called Jesus, the Defender Of women. And the text is found in Mark chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Mark 14, and this is dedicated to the women in our church. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the Leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, worth tens of thousands of dollars. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus said to the critics, leave her Alone, He liberated her then and he's liberating women today. He's the defender of women. And if you doubt this, I say to all of the women's livers, God bless you and everybody else. If you think Jesus is not responsible for your liberty, go to those countries where Jesus is not worshipped and their women are nothing. It is Christ who restored women. Would you come over here to Luke 8, verses 1 to 3? It is incredible that a woman should ever criticize Christ. Very few do. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support him out of their own means. My friend, can you get the picture? When Jesus came to town, his entourage, when Jesus came to town, there were the disciples and a great number of women. They were with him because he loved them. They loved him because he loved them and set them free from the suppression of man-made laws. Wherever Jesus goes, women are elevated, and only in those countries where Christ is Lord. No woman should be against Jesus. Thus, he is the incomparable emancipator. There's no one like him for women. Notice the second story, Jesus the teacher no one like him come over here to matthew chapter 5 and verse 38 and onwards matthew 5 verse 38 and onwards notice a sample of his extraordinary teachings matthew 5:38 you've heard that it was said quoting moses eye for eye and tooth for tooth But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Those of you who trust in armies and in swords and atom bombs and all of those things here in America. Let me tell you something. Jesus never lost a battle. Our armies have, frequently. The nation that relies upon its armies is doomed to self-destruct. There is something bigger than armies and tanks and aircraft carriers and hydrogen bombs. When the disciples went out to confront the Roman Empire, they did not go with swords. They went with the teachings of Christ. And the teachings of Christ are greater than any army, including the Marines and the Air Corps and anybody else you should dare to. Mention. Today, mightier than swords, arrows, guns, tanks, fighter jets, aircraft carriers, and bombs are his teachings. Therefore, he is the teacher without compare, he is the incomparable teacher. The third story. So what is my argument today? My argument is this. Unless you are his disciples, you are of a person most to be pitied. We should never scorn the atheist. We should pray for the atheist because he is spiritually a pauper. But with Christ. The poorest man is rich, but without Christ, the richest man is poor. Notice the third story. Jesus and a condemned woman caught in the act by the rat pack. Would you please notice this? John 8, verses 1 to 11. The story of a condemned woman caught in the act by the rat pack. John chapter 8, verses 1 down to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. How did they do it, I wonder? They Because... They had devised the whole thing. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were asking this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger... When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Would you please, for a moment, imagine the scene and the drama of the events, here is a nameless woman. And the people who've caught her are the super religious, the Pharisees, the leaders of the so-called church. It was obvious that one of their number was the man who was committing the adultery. But why is it that they didn't bring the man and throw him down? It reminds one of the story in a Middle Eastern custom where if a woman commits adultery, she is buried in the desert sand up to her nose and the man is buried up to his ankles. Why? because people do not worship this man who is beyond compare, who is second to none. That is why. And those of you who live in a country like America or Australia or Canada or Britain that has been influenced by Christ in the Bible, you ought to thank God or else you too may be buried up to your neck, up to your nose in the sand. The woman of the story was a victim of religious pretenders. Jesus gave to this nameless woman hope. He restored her self-respect. He forgave her sins and drove off the rat pack. He's been doing it ever since. You know the story of the old skeptic and the little girl's new Bible? Her daddy went along to see the old skeptic who was dying, dying without God, without Christ. And the young man said, let me give you my Bible and maybe you'll start to read my Bible and you'll find hope. He said, get out of here and take your old Bible with you. The young man went home and told his wife, with the little girl listening, and he said, the old man said, get out of here. I don't want your old Bible. And the little girl thought to herself, maybe, maybe. And so she went and saw the old man the old skeptic who was dying, and he said, Daddy told me you don't want his old Bible, but Mommy and Daddy gave me a new Bible for my birthday. Maybe I can give you my new Bible. And she left it and ran. Before he died, the old hardened sinner wrote the poem, I've tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise, but all I need, the Bible says, is ever only Jesus. My soul is night, my heart is steel, I cannot see, I cannot feel. For life, for light, I must appeal in simple faith to Jesus. He died, he lives, he reigns, he pleads. There's love in all his words and deeds. There's all a guilty sinner needs forevermore in Jesus. Though some will mock and some will blame, I'll go with all my sin and shame. I'll go to him because his name Above all names is Jesus. Have you gone to him, friend? Those of you watching on television, have you gone to him? He is the incomparable redeemer. He is the redeemer without compare, without comparison. The fourth story is Jesus had a funeral. The funeral of a man had been dead for some days. And you turn over the pages in John, you come to John 11 and verse 38 and onwards, this man's name was Lazarus. He died, he was dead for four days, and Jesus comes. Apparently too late. John 11 verse 38 and onwards, Jesus gets there, I'm sorry, after the funeral. Too late. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now, before I go any further, please look at me for a moment. You wonder why I read the Bible. I read the Bible because I need the Bible. I need the Bible because I'm a sinner, because I'm weak. And without the Word of God, I'm completely nothing at all. I know there are people in this congregation, you are so proud And you are so self-sufficient. Maybe not proud, but it it is a form of pride. But you are so self-sufficient that you don't read your Bible. I know that. How do I know? I can tell it by the lives you live. I can tell it by your indifference. Your lack of zeal for God. Your lack of love for the lost. And in this church, we turn to the Bible because in this church, Our authority is not the church. In this church, our authority is not a committee. In this church, our authority is not a conference. Our authority is is the Bible, the Word of God. We believe in the great Protestant principle. People have been writing me uh, letters and they say, you know, we're supposed to believe in this. But when you go to many churches, people don't know their Bibles, they don't read their Bibles, they don't quote from the Bible and the preacher doesn't even preach from it because he's a clergyman. (laughs) So we read the Bible, we believe in sola Christus, only Christ, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fidei, only Christ, only Scripture, only grace, only faith. And you'll need the Holy Spirit to get this into your mind. A preacher can be a great preacher, and you can preach hard to people, but because of their indifference and because they think they know it all. Let me tell you this, to get rid of that notion. (laughs) You ready for this? This is one of the dumbest of all civilizations in the history of the world. People know trivia, but they don't know the most important things. They don't know how to live. (laughs) and if they don't think they need the scriptures. Did you know they've discovered now there is a new addiction which is as bad as taking drugs? You know what it is? Addiction to the internet, playing these crazy games. In South Korea alone, there are 2 million young men who are complete addicts to the internet, just want to be serving the internet playing games. I've got people who've come, uh, I, I know them in the church. They, they can't wait till they get home and here they go again. They're addicted. And you know what it does? It destroys them. It decreases their mental abilities and their social skills. You can't talk to them because, oh, I don't know what to say. They're dumb. They're dumb and they're sick and they need the word of God. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? So in this church, we try to be faithful to God and we try to be faithful to the congregation. So let's read the text. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, but he's been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? People say, seeing is believing. The Bible says, believing is seeing. And this, most people say, well, I won't believe it until I see it. Well, you're never going to see it. People say, seeing is believing. No, believing is seeing. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, Jesus said to them, take off the great clothes, let him go. Now I don't know anybody who's ever done that. Here in the United States we hear of faith healers who are interested in your money, doing great miracles but we have no reliable evidence of a resurrection taking place today. People say, no, no, they do take place. Well, where? Well, in places where nobody goes, so you can't check up on it. And where it never gets on television. And where there's no decent doctor who's going to check that they were really dead in the first place. There's only one person who does the resurrections. Scientists are working on getting creating life in the laboratory. But my friend... All they're doing is taking the stuff that God has given them and trying to put it together again. That's what they're doing. Imagine the raising of Lazarus, a man who's been dead for four days. He walks out of the tomb and he's alive. Do you believe this? A lot of you don't even believe this, do you? A lot of you folks watching, you don't believe this. You've heard it so it, but you don't believe it. If you believed it, you'd be a different person. You'd have faith. And the person who raised Lazarus is coming back. One day, he himself came back from the dead and he promises to resurrect all those who have faith in him. Now come over here to John chapter 6. Then why are so many of you scared of dying? John chapter 6, verse 39. I had a friend who was always talking religion to me, always talking faith, always talking, 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 talking but he was scared to get on a, on a plane, terrified of flying. I said, why, why don't you fly? Well, he said, uh, uh, my wife and I were scared. I said, I thought you were a super Christian. I thought you had super... Oh, he said, I'm scared. You know why? He was scared of dying because he didn't have faith at all. Didn't have faith in Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 39 this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of all that he has given me but raise him up at the last day for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. But you better have the son or else you're coming up in the wrong resurrection. Look at John chapter 5. Verse 24, 25, I am told in America, when I look at television and I look at uh, preachers and all of this religious stuff, I am assured that everybody is going to go to heaven. That's what all the preachers teach. That's what the politicians preach. That's what the president says. That's what everybody says. There's only one problem with it. It's not true. (laughs) Jesus said, few there be that find it. That's what Jesus said. And therefore, you've got to have faith and you've got to have a relationship with the incomparable person, the person who is beyond compare, matchless, second to none, and you've got to know him as your Lord and your Savior. Look at John uh, chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. John chapter 5, 25, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You've got to believe in the Father too. And will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Astounding. He is the incomparable life giver. The life giver without comparison. Now the fifth story, Jesus and a friend who messed up. Most of us are very fickle. Jesus was not fickle. He was faithful. No one like him. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and onwards. You know whom I'm speaking of. That's, that's Peter, the big fisherman. Luke, 20, Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, but when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, He replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. That's what he said to Peter. Peter was full of self-confidence. Now, Who was this Peter? Peter, fortunately, (laughs) was not a clergyman. Peter was a fisherman. And if you were in the company of Peter, you were in the company of fish and water and nets. And Peter was a good person. We would have liked Peter. Now, if you come over to Mark chapter 14, verse 27 and onwards, Mark 14, 27 and onwards, Jesus said, you will all fall away. Jesus told him, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And uh, you know the story, don't you? When Jesus needed a friend, When Jesus needed a a rock to lean on, a few girls said to Peter, you're with him. And the Bible says Peter began to curse and to swear. And he said, I know not the man. And somebody said, when Peter said, I know not the man, it was the lie that told the truth. He told a lie, but he told the truth because he didn't know the man. He knew about the man. He knew his miracles. He loved him, but he never knew the man. Therefore, he denied the Lord with cursing and swearing when Jesus was desperate for a a friend. Peter should have been there. But Peter let him down. Pretty sad. What about you? Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. We thank God for friends who stay by in good times and in bad times who are faithful. Look at uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. Now Jesus sent a message after the resurrection because Peter was pretty discouraged. He was a broken man. He denied the Lord. Run away. But go, tell his disciples and uh, Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you and uh, Peter. That should encourage every person in this church because we've all messed up. We've all done Dumb things, we've all done bad things, we've all denied the Lord with cursing and swearing. How many of us are known in our workplace as followers of Christ? Or are we like the church member who said, I keep my faith to myself and nobody in the office would guess that I'm a Christian? Because she's not. No such thing as a secret Christian. But the message to every person is, go tell my disciples and Peter and Mary and Susie and Javier and David and Ron, I will see them. At a great religious convention here in the United States of America was a church leader whom I can—I was proud to call friend. A good man. And wherever he went at this great convention, the people swarmed around him like a hive of bees. Can you imagine it? Wherever he walked, a great crowd went with him. Can we just talk to him? He's a... Our great leader. But he lost his job. Possibly he didn't deserve to lose it because he was such a good man trying to do the best. There are no perfect people. But the next year he went to the great conference, he walked Alone, how fickle. Where was the Christianity? Jesus is a lot better than his professing followers. He never gives up. Jesus is a friend without compare, incomparable. The sixth story is Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Jesus, the Jew, and the leaders of the Jewish nation. Would you come over here to John chapter 8? A Christian should never, ever be anti-Semitic because our Lord is a Jew. He is still a Jew Today, in glory. Blake, there is a Jew today at the right hand of God. There's a Jew there. His name is Jesus. I've had people write to me and say Jesus wasn't a Jew. Goodness. I mean, talk about dumbness. Uh, John chapter 8. I'm telling you, John chapter 8. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? So they were really attacking him. Verse 52. At this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Verse 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. He was the only person, he said the expression which is tantamount to saying, I am Yahweh Elohim. I am Jehovah. I am El Shaddai. Expression, I am, is the expression that can only be used by Almighty God. If I were to say that today, I would deserve to be struck by a bolt of lightning. He's the only person who ever lived to claim to be God and was considered sane and in total control of himself. Ask God to expand your mind. He claimed to be the prime mover, the one who made the universe. If scientists are right when they say the universe is 13.72 billion years old, then Jesus was saying he existed in a place outside our universe more than 13 billion years ago, And beyond. He existed before time and space. He made time and space. This places him in a completely different category to you and to me. Because he has limitless power. Limitless knowledge. Limitless wisdom. Limitless presence. Limitless authority. Limitless love. Limitless grace. Thus. He is indeed the incomparable God. All other gods are puny, silly, and non-consequential. Listen to these words. Christianity is not a, a set of rules, though we have rules. I could easily have been a Methodist if I'd lived in the days of John Wesley because I like methods. I like Being organized, I am not very tolerant with people who are disorganized. (laughs) Christianity is not a set of rules. It is not about being a vegan. (laughs) Or what you wear. Or more importantly, what you don't wear. Or how much money you have. Some of those things may be of consequence. But that is not Christianity. They may flow from certain aspects of Christianity, but Christianity is all about Jesus, the light of the world. And if you don't belong to a church where Christ is the Lord and where his word is preached, find another church. And he would very much like to be your emancipator, your teacher, your redeemer, your life giver, your friend, your God. He is a total gentleman, doesn't push his way in where he is not wanted. In Revelation it says, Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door. What a paradox. The almighty God. And he can't open the door himself. He's a total gentleman. He knocks, but it's up to each one of us to open the door to the one who is matchless, without peer, second to none. That's the thing. Doesn't push his way anywhere. You can sit here in church. You can be a nominal Christian. You can harden your heart. You can listen to it all. You can go through the motions because you think that's Christianity. You are deluded. It is knowing Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Everybody in America wants Jesus, the Savior, But he is the Lord, Jesus Christ. And the Lord means the master. Listen to this poem. I love it. I see his blood upon the rose. And in the stars, the glory of his eyes. His body gleams amid eternal snows. His tears fall from the skies. I see his face and every flower. The thunder and the singing of the birds are but his voice. And carved by his power, the rocks are his written words. All pathways by his feet are worn. His strong heart stirs the ever-beating sea. His crown of thorns is twined with every thorn. His cross is every tree. I present to you today, I give to you today, the incomparable Christ, Amen. second to none, Amen. without compare. Amen.